please take out your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 1. We'll be looking at verse 20, but we will be examining other passages in Scripture. So please have your Bibles at the ready. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, instruct our hearts through your living and holy word. Speak through me as your servant. Lord, bless the proclamation of your word. Would also bless the hearing of it. So that those who receive it may understand it and apply it rightly to their lives. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 1, verse 20. We left off last time with the risen Lord Jesus giving the Apostle John the command in verse 19, just prior to it, to write what you have seen, what you see now, and what will take place later. As you look at this English translation of the Greek in your NIV Bibles, uh, what you see appears to be a simple sequential outline. Yet when you look at it in the Greek text and you connect it to the one who is speaking, you come to understand that this is not a simple temporal sequential outline, but an eternal view which lines up with verses 4 and 8 of chapter 1 in which Jesus is described as the one who is, who was, and who is to come. The one who is, who was, and is to come. This description of Jesus reveals that He is eternal. He is outside of time. Jesus made it quite clear in John 8, verses, verse 58. This is a long discussion that He had with Jews who were coming to hear Him. But it kind of boiled down to this point in the conversation. In John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus does not say, Before Abraham was, I was. As if to present himself as one being born into this world prior to Abraham in linear time. Jesus is saying that before Abraham was born, into the span of human history, I exist. I exist past, present, and future. Outside of time, as the eternal Son of God. The Jews may not have understood what Jesus was saying up to this point, but they definitely understood what Jesus was saying in verse 58 when He said, I am. I continue to be who I am. We need to be aware of how our perspective in time is temporal. Even when we try to understand eternity, we try to understand it from a temporal perspective. Yet these three clauses in verse 19, right? What you have seen, what you see now, and what will take place later express not only eternal duration but a revelation which transcends historical time, uncovering the meaning of history and existence in its totality. 
This uncovering is God revealing something that was formerly shrouded in mystery. And John is using familiar symbols from the present and the past to explain what he sees. Hence, we need to understand that a mystery understood in Scripture is something that does not yield to any type of human investigation. You can speculate all day long on what is happening, what is taking place, but you're not going to know unless God reveals it to you. You're not going to understand the meaning of the mystery unless it is made understandable, discernible through God's revelatory will. The Apostle Paul writes, and you can turn here if you want in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is verses 7 through 13. The Apostle Paul writes, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages, before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. He's talking about both Jewish and Roman. None of the rulers understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man even imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual, to those who can receive it, who are spiritual. Verse 7 again, from a literal translation of the Greek, says this, it says, but we speak God's wisdom in mystery. We speak forth God's wisdom in mystery. Having been hidden, which God decreed before the ages, before time even began, before the ages, for our glory. Sounds a lot like Ephesians 1, doesn't it? He, God, chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. And you can continue with that long sentence that Paul uses to show how it is God who has ordained us to be His before time even began. And you're sitting there thinking, how is that possible? What does this mean? Let's go back to verse 20 in Revelation 1. Where we see there are two realms of existence. Heaven and earth. Heaven is the greater eternal kingdom and earth is the lesser temporal kingdom. Throughout Scripture, when you go to the very beginning of Scripture all the way through it, there is something called a suzerainty treaty or covenant. And it's always about the greater kingdom agreeing to, to live in harmony with a lesser kingdom, to not attack it, to not pursue it, but to protect it and to trade with it 
and to have peace with that lesser kingdom as long as the lesser kingdom does the same for the greater kingdom. The greater kingdom is God's eternal kingdom. The lesser kingdom is this world and all the kingdoms that this world produces. In order to have peace with God, God has to enter into a covenant with us. And as God says, we have to be holy as He is holy. We'll get to that in a bit regarding how that takes place, but I think you already know. Revelation 1 verse 20. Here's our text. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Very simple, right? It's so nice when Jesus speaks plainly and we look at it and we understand it. At least we think we do. (laughs) You see the title of this message for Revelation 1 verse 20. It's the only command in the Lord's Prayer. The other statements are descriptions of God or petitions for His gracious power to help us. The only command is what? Say it with me. Thy kingdom come. I can't hear you. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you. That is the command. The only command in the Lord's Prayer. Do you think that command is rather important? That we should petition God and pray and seek and strive as His people for His his kingdom to come and His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what is God's will? Well, it's revealed through Scripture, but it is laid out rather clearly in Jesus, by Jesus in Matthew 5 through 7, especially the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, in which Jesus highlights what God will bless But even though Jesus highlights what God will bless, the question remains, as you examine Matthew 5, how is God's will made known to the world? How is God's will made known to the world? Is it not heralded through His messengers and revealed through His church? Think about this. How is God's will communicated to this fallen world? People don't seek after God. There's none righteous. No, not one. There's none who seeks after God. In our sinful desires, in our pride, we do not seek after and pursue God. We pursue whatever our selfish desires want. It is God who seeks after and pursues us. And how does God do that? He does that through His people. We are to be a kingdom of priests. That means we seek to serve others around us on behalf of God, to communicate to them the beauty and the glory and the holiness, the wonder of His wisdom, just who God is, His awesome nature, His amazing grace. We are the ones who are to communicate that to the world in which we live. Whether it's being heralded from pulpits and podiums or on street corners or whether it's revealed through the church. We are the ones who are to communicate the glory of God to this world. 
Now, God can influence and speak to people without preachers. But I don't think He, can, he chooses not to without the influence of the church. The church is the bride of Christ. And God communicates to people through His bride. And also, His bride is the one who communicates to God on behalf of others. God can speak to somebody in a dream halfway across the world, but I can almost assure you, I I think I can assure you, that somebody was either praying for that region or praying for that people. That God would reveal Himself to them. That God would save them. And lo and behold, maybe a month later, maybe a year later, maybe years later, people are having dreams in the Middle East of Jesus revealing Himself to them. Of the Holy Spirit speaking into their hearts, even when there's no preacher around. But the church has persisted in praying for them. And as the church sends up its prayers to the Lord, the Lord acts. There is that communion between God and His bride, Jesus Christ and His bride, the church and Christ. And in that sweet communion, when the church petitions uh, the Lord and head of the church, He acts and He responds. Sometimes I wish we could see more clearly what is going on in heaven. But God's Word reveals to us what is going on in heaven. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, the mystery that Jesus is making known is the heavenly communion between the messengers who are angels in heaven and the messengers, pastors, and teachers here in this world below. It is the heavenly communion between the church in heaven and the church in this earth below. Seven is a representative number. As you remember, seven is, is, a, is a slice that represents the whole. It's a piece of the pie that represents the whole pie, if you will. So the seven messengers or the seven stars represent the whole of the messengers of heaven that are at Christ's disposal, that are under His command. Remember Jesus said when He ascended that all authority was handed over to Him by the Heavenly Father in heaven and on earth. The angels of heaven are at His command. So as as the prayers go up on behalf of people, it's not just physical pastors and teachers and preachers and evangelists who are communicating, who are heralding the good news of the gospel that are presenting the will of God and, and, and speaking forth the truth of God, it is also angels, ministering angels who are serving in this world. Many whom we don't recognize or we, we might not even see, but who are here ministering in this world at the behest of Christ Jesus. So angels from heaven do attend the needs of the church here on earth at the command of Christ. And going back to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 13, this is what we, apostles, preachers, ministers here on earth, speak in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. It is the Spirit's labor to work through His ministers on earth to declare the glory and wisdom and love of God to the body of Christ Jesus and to the world. So, angelos, or angel, is a messenger sent on behalf of someone else. This messenger, as I have said, can be either human 
or non-human, even divine as in the Son of, Je- Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was sent into this world on God's behalf. The seven stars, remembering that the number seven is a selection that represents the whole, refers to the reign of Christ in heaven with his lordship over the angels and also his lordship over the church and the world as Christ Jesus is king of both heaven and his church in the world as well. Hence the seven churches represent the church, the spiritual bride of Christ throughout the ages. It doesn't simply represent these seven particular churches. Uh, These seven churches represent the church as a whole and the different conditions they are in and the circumstances that they face in this world. It is not that far from Jesus' parable of the sower with the different soils as the seed is planted in them. This is similar to the church regarding how well the gospel seed will grow based on the condition of the soil of one's faith and practice in these several churches. Now, churches are a place where we gather together in this world to receive insight through the teaching of God's Word, encouragement, and strength through the prayers and fellowship of the body, and uh, where we can put the world aside and focus only on our spiritual relationship with our Heavenly Father. One day in seven, we are to set aside so that we can focus on God and remember what the more important reality is in our existence. It's not here. We, we really need to understand that this life is but a breath. Breathe in. Exhale. That's our life in, res- in relationship to eternity. It is, sh- it is so incredibly short. This season of life that we possess, it's almost incomparable. And yet sometimes, we, oftentimes, we live for this world alone. Our focus is on this world when the greater reality, that which endures forever, is heaven. We need to set aside the conditioning of the world and focus on what's truly important, and that is our relationship with God and with each other in the body of Christ. Otherwise, if we don't focus on Him, we can forget the awesome love and glory of God. I want you to reflect on how the symbols that are used represent the messengers and the church. It says first in verse 20, the messengers are like stars in the sky. Well, what does a star do? It, it, it both radiates heat and shows forth light. You can see me right now because of the sun, right? The light of the sun. Well, you say, well, we have lights on in here. <clears throat> and that's true, but if we were to stand outside, you could see me quite plainly and I could see you quite plainly because of the light of the sun. If there was no sun, could we see each other? Absolutely not. Because even at night, the reflection, uh, the moon reflects the light of the sun and we get some light even at night. If you take all that light away, all you have is darkness, don't you? So we wake up in the morning and the sunlight peeks through our windows and so forth. 
glances across the sky and shows forth upon this earth and everything that was hidden is revealed. So the suns, the stars are revealers as their light breaks through the darkness and illumines what actually exists in the cosmos. So it is with God's servants, with God's messengers. The light of God's truth is heralded through his messengers, whether they be heavenly messengers or earthly messengers. We are at God's command to declare the light of his truth to this world darkened by sin and evil. But this task, again, does not fall to messengers alone. Consider the symbol now of the church. This comes from Pastor Paige Patterson. He says the last identification in, this cha- in the chapter is that of the seven lampstands, which are now plainly said to represent the seven churches of Asia. A more appropriate symbolism for the church can, can scarcely be imaginable. The church is like a lamp, a receptacle that is to give light in the darkness. However, like a lamp, the church is helpless to fulfill its mission without fuel. Oil throughout the Old Testament is used for anointing. Priests, kings, prophets, tabernacles, furnishings, and books were anointed. He continues, particularly in the case of Saul. The meaning of this anointing was that of the empowering for an assignment by the Spirit of God. Oil, then, had become a symbol for the Holy Spirit, a concept observable in the New Testament in James chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, when the church is filled with the Spirit of God. Then the church is able to give light to the world, minus such presence and anointing, minus the work of the Holy Spirit in a church. Despite outer appearances, a church has no real possibility or ability of fulfilling the Great Commission mandate. So it's important for the Holy Spirit to be at work in the, in the people of God. Because He is our strength when you think about the initiation of the church in this world. There was an overflowing of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And the Spirit continues to work in the church today. But He must be present in order to fuel the light of truth and to show forth God's power and love through His people. How important then is the great commission mandate of Christ Jesus? Does it sound like it may be related to that command in the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come, O God. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you think of the commission, this is what the commission of Christ is in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have taught you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The Spirit of Christ is with us always, even to the end of the age. You know, sometimes I think we look at these passages and we think, great, more work to do when my life is already busy enough. But if you think that, I want to ask you, what what is important to you today? What is important to you? Is it your will or God's will that's important to you? 
Is it the establishment of your kingdom, your wants and desires realized in this world? Or is it the advancement of God's kingdom in this world that matters to you? I skeptically watched and listened to some testimony of people who had after-death experiences, meaning that they were pronounced dead for a period of time and actually came back to life. And these testimonies are what they saw while they were pronounced dead. And the reason I say skeptically is because I always compare everything that someone says to Scripture. John says, test the spirits and make sure that they are from God. And even the devil himself can masquerade as an angel of light. You know, even on these roads, these, these roads into glory, he can masquerade as an angel of light. So you need to test everything against Scripture. But as I was, as I was listening, I was comparing what they had in common. I'm not going to give you each testimony, but I want to I compare what they had in common. One, one person was Jeffrey Thompson who was an attorney for a law firm uh, who had died momentarily from internal bleeding. Another was Mary C. Neal. She's an orthopedic surgeon who was trapped in her kayak under a waterfall on a Chilean river uh, held underwater for 30 minutes or so. Another one was Freddie Vest, a cowboy and a professional calf roper uh, who had a heart attack while in the process of trying to rope a calf. Uh, He said after the fact, after he had this experience, that he was dead before he hit the ground. As they got him to the ambulance, he flatlined, and uh, they didn't get a pulse until after an hour later. Uh, You realize that he should be dead, but he was not. What these testimonies had in common, what they experienced, that they all had in common was the immensity of God's love towards us. They said there's no words, there's no way of trying to explain in this life how great God's love for us. Freddie Vest uh, compared it to when he was a little boy. They said the only thing I can think about that, that can be a symbol for it was when my mom was on the rocking chair and I was three years old and I crawled up in her lap and she would hold me tight and she'd be singing and rocking and the warmth of the sun would be on both of us. And he said, I felt so secure, so safe, so at peace in the, in the embrace of her love. And he said, but that's, that just starts. That, that's just the bottom of the scale. The love that I felt from God was thousands of times greater than this. All of them had that testimony of how awesome the love of God was for them. They also claimed that they felt more real as their spirit departed from their body than they did while in their physical body. That the senses that they had were more heightened, that they felt more alive, more real, after their spirit departed from their body than while they were in their body. And then there is the issue of peace. There was a peace that was truly beyond understanding a peace that was beyond their understanding. And, you know, the, the more technical folks that I'm alluding to here, try to, they say we, we will try to explain it, but there are really no words in the human language 
that can properly describe the glory and beauty and splendor of being in the presence of God. The other thing they talked about was there, were, there was no feeling of time when they were with the Lord. No feeling of time. I also listened to some testimonies from people who claimed that they were on their way to hell. And the intense and overwhelming feeling or sense of fear that they felt in that moment. For them as well, time did not register as they recognized that hell is a place of permanence without any hope. Orthopedic surgeon Mary Neal tried to explain this issue of time or timelessness in her book, Seven Lessons from Heaven. She writes these words. She says, while trapped underwater, I was still quite conscious of linear time. Perceiving its passage and recognizing that I would likely die as a result. But I also simultaneously felt like I was a part of the past and the future. I felt a part of eternity. What I discovered is that heavenly time, the thing we call eternity, is more like a place in which you dwell rather than a line down which you walk. It blossoms rather than passes. In other words, there's no sense of death there. It's something to be experienced rather than spent. So eternity isn't, re- isn't really an infinite number of years lined up in a row where one year turns into the next and one century into another like chapters in a history book. All of time, past, present, and future, is right here, right now. All of time, past, present, and future, is right here, right now. For me, every moment contained is its past, present, and future as it expanded into all eternity. And I experienced all of eternity in each single moment. I discovered that time is enjoyed completely in this moment. So there are no thoughts in heaven about what might happen tomorrow or next year or next century. The present moment is as rich and satisfying as we can possibly imagine. When you think about this world, your life in this world, you're really thinking about a season. It's the dash on your tombstone. You had an inception, a beginning point, then you have your life, and then you'll have an ending point. Every dash on all the tombstones represent a life lived in this world. Those dashes with a date following them represent a life that has passed away. The world itself is passing away. This world. It has an inception date. And when you look at Scripture, Scripture says it has an expiration date. Just like your body does. What are you doing with your life that counts towards eternity? What are you doing with your life that counts towards eternity? Testimonies like these highlight the the eternal importance of faith in Jesus Christ, don't they? May our prayer and may our work and labor be, Thy kingdom come.
Thy will be done, O Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. I'd ask the elders to come forward at this time, us to enjoy the beauty and glory and splendor and majesty of his 